Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Roper Report Extra podcast. This is the Sheffield United preview. We're doing it a little bit earlier than usual. Christmas kind of gets in the way of a lot of stuff. Essentially, we haven't played Birmingham yet, so we've got on today our first ever verified guest, technically, uh, James Shield from the Sheffield Star, or also the Star, but apparently called the Sheffield Star. How are you doing, James? Are you well? I'm fine, absolutely fine. And you? Yeah, not doing too bad. Christmas coming up. How's things at Sheffield United this season? It's uh, It's been very, very interesting, uh, certainly up until uh, about a month ago. I mean, it was going far better than anybody could have uh, could have expected. I think the manager and the players, I'm sure, will tell you they expected to, uh, to be challenging for promotion. Uh, I'm not sure whether I quite believe them. Uh, I certainly didn't expect them to be uh, climbing to the top of the table, which they did a, a month back. Uh, things have tailed off a little bit, as you'll as you'll know, over the past few weeks. They're, uh, they're heading into the next game without a winning five, which uh, is the is the worst run actually of uh, of Chris Wilder's reign at Bramall Lane. But hmm. other than that, I think when you uh, when you look at the the budgets, when you look at some of the uh, the financial constraints that they've that they've got at Bramall Lane. You've got to still say it's uh, it's been a remarkable season so far. Because I was looking at the the table and I, I, in a really weird way, I was actually quite surprised that you were only sixth off top. Because being at the opposite end of the table, I haven't really looked, but you were second off top at one point. I think is that right? Well, that's right. Well, after they they beat Burton Albion. Uh, last month, they actually went to the top of the table. They'd been involved in a sort of a little duel, really, with with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Now, of course, they've they've slipped way back in in terms of points now, and I think any hope of challenging for the top of the table or for first place has has long gone. Uh, but you know, you never know. And to be to be honest, it's a, it's a team that has sort of defied expectations. I mean, even last season when they were promoted out of League One, you. That probably sounds a little bit strange. You you would have expected Sheffield United to get promoted out of League One, but having spent as long as they did in, in that division, which is something, one of the reasons why I would suggest Sunderland want to be uh, very, very careful about dropping into, uh, dropping yeah. into the third tier because it, it really is like quicksand. Uh, you know, there's there's all causes all sorts of problems both on and and off the pitch. But to win the division like they did, you know, with uh, with a hundred points, 
uh, a ridiculous amount of goals. I think at one point they'd, they'd scored more goals than any sort of any of the leading clubs in, in Europe. You know, that you've got to say that defied expectations. Uh, I think the one thing they will be hoping is that the, the last really poor run that they, they had under Chris Wilder was actually at the, the very beginning of that season where they were at the bottom of the table and didn't actually win any of their any of their first four games. So if it inspires that type of run again, uh, you know, then then who knows where they end up? They might end up. But I tell you what, as well, joking aside, for the benefit of this uh, of this match, it also goes to to show you know Sunderland support is just what is possible. Yeah, very much so. And I think um, almost, and I've said this a few times on the podcast over the past few weeks, there was almost an ignorance of, from my side of, of teams in the league below us because we've been that long in the Premiership and I remember when Sheffield United came up I, I seen that as a chance to kind of get back into it and Sheffield United I think most people would agree are probably one of if not the best side we've seen at the stadium this season and generally look like you had 11 players playing for a manager and it was it was funny because yeah. in the summer we were linked sort of ever so slightly to Chris Wilder before we got Grayson and a lot of the the a lot of people looked at Wilder and thought, well, yeah, he's a really good choice, but I, I don't believe he's really done much before Sheffield United. But he is a big, he's a big Blades fan, isn't he? He is, yeah. I mean, he had a, a, a sort of a pretty successful career uh, before he arrived at Bramall Lane, uh, but albeit not one that would sort of really feature on the radar unless he supported Halifax Town, uh, sort of Oxford United or Northampton Town, and I, I don't mean that sort of flippantly or, or with any disrespect but you know they're, they're not sort of clubs where their achievements really sort of resonate you know with the with the yeah. wider public but yeah you're right he's I mean I think this is one of the one of the reasons why what's happened at Bramall Lane this season is, is such a, a great sort of story why it's you know it's like a it's like a great fairy tale because you've got the sort of the fan turned former player turned manager who's in charge of the uh, of the football club and what they're doing this season, and and to a degree, this also held true last season as well. But they're doing it in a, you know, a sort of a quaintly old-fashioned way. There's something quite sort of romantic about it because they're a they're a team that, when you look at the budget, I think by my sort of back of a fag packet maths, they should be in 19th place yeah. in the, in the championship. And you know, I think my sort of calculations, I've had it confirmed, are, are, are pretty accurate for once on that. Um, I think <laughs> might be quite surprised to hear that, but. You know, so but they're they're doing it by by bringing players up largely from the from the lower leagues, uh, or by signing players who, you know, for one reason or another, their sort of potential hasn't really been fulfilled in that in their careers. Yeah, and just turning them into into a really strong unit, as you said, and I think as you saw at the at the stadium alike, and and just improving the players that they've got. They've they've done remarkably well with with some of the the more longer serving players who. Chris Wilder and his assistant Alan Neal inherited from the uh, from the former manager Nigel Adkins and, and Nigel Clough before him. Yeah, and it, it's almost sort of quite. I don't know. I'm gonna gonna sound sort of very arty farty here, but it's almost sort of quite organic, isn't it? And it, it's everything I think yeah. that if if a football fan could sort of you know plot a course for their club and say, listen, you know, if we can get success. How would you like to do it? It's almost in the way that Sheffield United are doing it now. And the the other great thing, where I think they, in fairness, they have won a lot of friends, uh, possibly not on the blue and white half of the uh, of the city <laughs> down here in nope. Sheffield, but where they where they have won a lot of friends, I think is because they've come up into the division and they've had a real go. They've gone to the stadium a lot, you know, which is I mean, it's a terrific ground. And you know, obviously, you were in the Premier League not so long ago, and they've had a go. Uh, 
you know, they've, they've, they've done that against all of the big clubs that they've, they've played so far. They've been really attack-minded. It's the type of thing that, that fans really buy into. And I think you'll see that, uh, uh, you know, when you come to Bramwell Lane, regardless of, of what the result in the meantime will be, you'll, 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 you'll see the crowd, you know, that there's a real connection there between the, between the team and the terraces. And that's something I think that a lot of football clubs, you know, dare I say it with an awful lot more money, would, uh, would spend a fortune to have. Yeah, very much. And it, it's funny, we've only just started sort of recently getting there back with Corman. And I don't want to hedge my bets too much because obviously we're talking before a, a, a home game that we have against the bottom club and you never know how that's going to go. But assuming that that goes well, Coleman has instilled something back into the club where there is a connection between fans and, and players. And it was incredibly fractured from our side, say, a month and a half, two months ago, five weeks or so. Um, incredibly fractured uh, between... The players such as Gibson, Catamore, and I mean Catamore maybe still so, but like people like Darren Gibson have sort of had a bit of a resurgence under him. The team as a whole, if I'm honest, have had a resurgence under Coleman. Um, and it just goes to show that if you don't have that connection or what can happen, and when Grayson was here, it was really fractured. It was literally, it was almost like you're pulled apart. We were at the opposite ends of the spectrum, opposite ends of the spectrum, and not just us, the managers, the team, but also the boardroom. And to an extent, we still are. But when you watch teams like Sheffield United, we we really picked that up when we watched Sheffield United. Because if you look through your team, as you were saying before, I've just looked at the players who've placed like played the most minutes sort of at the club. And obviously you've got like the the stalwarts like Billy Sharp who've been there a while, but you've got the likes of um Ender Stevens who didn't do too much at Aston Villa, uh Chris Basham, obviously ex Bolton and Blackpool, uh John Fleck, ex Coventry, you've got Cameron Carter Vickers on loan from Tottenham. It's it's not like you have a bunch of players that you could say are, you know, higher end championship players yet as a unit, obviously you're performing at that level that Teams who spend a lot of money, or, or maybe the size of us, would expect you in a position we we would maybe not expect to be, but hope to be, with the fact we've just been relegated. Yet because we were fractured, it's only took till now before we come back. Where Sheffield United seemed like a very cohesive unit, both on and off the pitch. Do, do you know what you, you're absolutely right? And you know, in a in a sense, obviously, it'll be a shame if it, it gets totally repaired before you, before you arrive at Bramall Lane. Uh, I'm sure Sheffield United supporters, you know, and the and the team and the players will say that. But it, it's good to hear that that's changing at Sunderland because I can remember when I, you know, it was one of the games that I always used to enjoy covering matches at Sunderland, and it was it was one of the games that I was actually looking forward to in the, you know, when when Sheffield United were, were promoted out of League One and into the into the Championship. So there there was a little bit of I me. Mean, don't take this the wrong way. I was I was sort of quite pleased that you were relegated, really, because yeah. you know I, I was. Forward to going to the you know to the stadium alight again. It's I, I, I just love driving into a you know into a town into a city where you you know you you see sort of pictures of former players on the the, the side of houses and you know you you feel it's a it's a real sort of footballing town a footballing city. And you if you're a football fan you can't help but love that and you you can't buy having that connection between between the team and the supporters. I mean. It's changed very, very starkly here because, you know, under Nigel Adkins, before Chris came in, it was anything but. It was something that you would probably recognise from the start of the season up there on Wearside. And where there was a, a, a group of fans, you know, a large, large majority of fans, I would say. And this isn't a dig at supporters because fans pay an awful lot of money to come and watch their teams play these days. And, you know, they've got every right to, to let their sort of feelings be uh, feelings be known. And they, they were just waiting to, to have a go at the team because, quite honestly, they'd had a gutful of what, you know, they'd, they'd seen served up. 
I think I, I described it in the papers. They, you know, that it was a club that had just sleepwalked through uh, through an entire season. But you know, if you've got that connection and it helps you through the through the tough times as well. I mean, Sheffield United have had difficult periods in in games this season. They're going through a through a tough period at the moment in terms of of results. But you know, they still had. I think it was over four thousand supporters up at, at Preston North End last weekend, and they stayed behind the team, even though it was. You know, it could hardly be described as a as a vintage performance, but they stayed behind them right until the end. So to have that connection, it, you know what? I, I think that's worth sort of 10, 20 million pounds in the in the transfer market. And I think the other thing that you touched on there, which is very, very true about Sheffield United at the moment, and I'm sure it's something. Having spoken to David Brooks, actually, who's a, a very, very talented young player who's on the uh, on the books at Bramall Lane at the moment, who was involved in the in the Wales squad recently. So of course he's got to know Chris Coleman quite well, and he was. I remember having a chat with him about how Chris Coleman likes to try and work, and about the atmosphere that he created, sort of behind the scenes in the Wales camp. So. You know, I'm, I know that that's something he'll be looking to do at the, at the stadium of life. The great thing about Sheffield United is, at the moment, they are a team in the in true sense of the word. And as you said, you know, there's there's no sort of great, great stars there. Uh, there's no wonderful uh, sort of stellar names or big money players. I think I sound like I'm rubbing it in now, but the... The guy who scored <laughs> goals up at your place, of course, Clayton Donaldson. I think he was on. He was signed for less than one of your players. I think so. I'm led to believe earns in a week. Uh, but they were a team oh, in the true. true sense of the word, and they've 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 got that through. You know what I said earlier about there's something sort of quaintly old-fashioned and quite romantic about the way Sheffield United go about things under Chris Wilder. And I'm not suggesting for one minute that they're out on the lashes, it were five nights a week because they're because they're not. You know, and they do embrace the scientific side of the game. They do work very, very hard on the training ground. They do an awful lot of analysis. They look at diet, all of the things that that football, you know, football managers and football coaches get very, very involved in in these days. But the one thing they also do is make sure that the players enjoy themselves, and they don't forget some of the sort of the old, longer-standing ideas that you know sometimes it is good to go out for a night together. It is good to have the odd pint together. And I think some of the reasons why Chris always bristles when I sort of put to him that these Chris Wilder, that is, that these ideas are old fashioned and he doesn't like the word. And I get why, but I I, I mean it as something positive because the reason these ideas are old fashioned is because they've been around for a long time and they've stood the test of time. And the reason they've stood the test of time is because they're damn good ideas. And yeah. you've got a team there that, that that does, it fights for each other. I think the other thing as well, that possibly even more so uh, than the way that the new players are brought into that, is the way that you've seen the methods that they're employing there have actually transformed some of the longer serving players. I mean, Paul Coates, who unfortunately is going to miss the rest of the season now with a, with a pretty terrible leg injury. But, mm. you know, last season and at the start of this season, he was in absolutely phenomenal form. Chris Basham, who, you know, I mean, someone who, who knows your your part of the world very well. I mean, he's, he's, he's from heaven. His yep. family are, are, are seasoned to get holders at the start of the light. And, you know, Chris will make no bones about it. You know, he's a, he's a big Sunderland fan as well. He, he didn't have a, a terrible start or a terrible first few years at Sheffield United. But, you know, it, I wouldn't say it was spectacular either. But now he's a real, real crowd favourite with the, with the supporters because you're seeing the talent now that, you know, once made him a made him a Premier League footballer with, with Bolton Wanderers. And I think it's possibly with those longer serving players 
that you're actually seeing the benefit of these this, this sort of mix between the old-fashioned and the, the very modern and sort of scientific. It's funny you should mention about going out and, and the old-fashioned methods. It's um, we you, If you remember Sunderland-Sheffield United games, I'm 31, so when it comes to like big games that I remember, I remember the playoff semi-finals, and that was our best team in, in my memory. And a lot of that was... Was a, a team who, and I've interviewed a few players at Alex Ray, for example, was one, um, and Kevin Ball, people like that over time. And they always talk about the fact that people on the pitch would they'd almost like die for each other because they were mates. And it wasn't that they were unfit, they were fit as lops. I mean, Kevin Phillips is one of the best strikers in the past. You know, 20, 30 years, in my opinion, in the top league. and But they'd all fight for each other, and it was a team. You look at the people who were in our team at that point. You've got uh, Nicky Summerby, Alan Johnson, um, Kevin Ball, Alex Ray. And they, they all went on to have good careers, especially Kevin Phillips. Um, but at the same time, when they were all signed by the club, they were very much... Niall Quinn aside, possibly, because um, he had a good career at Man City. But you go from back to front and you had Sorensen, who was a young uh, Danish goalkeeper, Chris Macon, who was uh, right back at Oldham. You had Mickey Gray, who was an old school uh, sort of player for us, came through our youth system. People like Andy Melville, um, he was another old boy, Paul Butler from Berry, And people forget that kind of fact that so a lot of that team, when it was signed, was pretty much not superstars or not big names at the point, and having a fantastic career after that, and going on to bigger, well, not bigger clubs, uh, you know, other clubs just as big as Sunderland, and that was all built on team spirit and the fact that they wanted to fight with each other. And Peter Reid, I imagine, is still a very old-fashioned manager if he ever came back, and whether he'd succeed in the same way, I don't know. But Chris Wilder does kind of, from an outside perspective remind me a little bit of Peter Reid and what he brought to the club. He, he, I, th- I think you're right, uh, because I think the, the the one thing that Chris himself, I mean, he had a decent career, but he didn't have a, a sort of spectacular career. And I, I think that's something that he's brought into management is that, you know, he does demand a lot of his players because he had to push himself as a footballer. So, you know, he does demand hard work. He does demand sort of, absolute dedication to the to the football club and you know he's, he's not somebody who would take a player wanting to leave Sheffield United very very lightly I, I think unless there's uh, you know sort of a, a, a multi-million pound contract there on the table I think you'd find it quite difficult to fathom why somebody would want to leave and that you know that that comes from his background as a as someone who's from Sheffield someone who grew up supporting the club and as someone who played for the club as well but you're absolutely right. I think the one thing that managers like Chris and before him Peter Reid get is that, you know, for all of the fact, for all of the analysis, for all of the sort of, you know, the fancy methods that you can bring in and techniques that you can use and should use and should employ, you've also got to enjoy yourself. I, I, I'll give you a good example of that. And I'm, I'm not sort of kicking the guy or, or, as I sort of said, being, being disrespectful about him. But when you used to go up to the, to the training ground for the uh, pre, pre-match press conferences, uh, under that season, under Nigel Atkins, you could hear a penny drop and you mm. would go up there and they've got the pool table there, they've got the darts board, they've got everything that you know, sort of you, you would expect to see in a, in a football club's canteen. But the one thing that they didn't have was any life and it was, it was as dead as a dodo. Uh, and it was almost quite, it would suck the life out of you, even though obviously, you know, those of us in the media, we're, we're not playing. 
But just to walk into an atmosphere like that, you, you actually walked out of it feeling quite depressed yourself. And within a couple of weeks or a couple of days, sorry, I should say, of Chris coming back in, the, the you heard players laughing, you heard players joking. You, you now see players coming into training early so they can sort of have a, a knock about on the pool table or just sit down and have breakfast with each other and enjoy each other's company. And I think what managers like that get is, as I said, you have to enjoy yourself. It's the same as any job, same as your job, same as my job. If you're, if you're not enjoying yourself, you're not really going to perform. And as much as we like to knock footballers at times and, you know, some of the money that they that they earn, even at this level and even poorly play, players at this level, we, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you and I wouldn't wouldn't mind being, a you know, a penny behind them. No, or even a pound not at all. Behind them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to be fair, they do work hard to become professionals. And if they go through, you know, all and make yeah. the sacrifices that they do when they're youngsters, and then, you know, you get to become a professional footballer and you can't enjoy it, I always think, what's the point? You yeah. know, there's because it's almost like, isn't it? Enjoyment now has become a dirty word in football. It's got to be very, very sort of, you know, sterile. It's got to be very serious. Ultimately, for all of the money that, that flushes through the game now, this is this is the entertainment business. You know, it's about yes. being enjoyed. It's about yes, you know, clubs have to look after the balance sheet and and players have got to behave themselves and and know what to eat now and know when to go out and know when not to go out. But ultimately for everybody involved in this, it's about enjoyment, it's about entertainment and you know, buying into that whole sort of I, I don't want to sound like Brendan Rogers, but that whole sort of philosophy <laughs> of uh, of doing things like that. And that is what good managers, I think, recognise. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that because I think, you know, a lot of the time when, I mean, we've obviously had a lot of turmoil when, in our management. We've had Grace and Moyes and, and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people were saying, it doesn't matter who you bring in because these players are this and that and the other. And, and a lot of people will say, football as a whole, you know, if the team's doing poorly, how do you motivate people like Lamy and Kone? How do you motivate people like Darren Gibson? Because, you know, they're millionaires. They've got no real connection to the club. They, they want to leave or they're, they're not interested or, or, or whatever the reason may be. <clears throat> and I think a lot of that getting them to play is, is kind of what you've mentioned. It's, mm. you know, if you're enjoying your job, you're almost put that effort in with, without actually noticing. Like I, I work in a complaints role. You work obviously as a writer. Um, if you, you, you know, if you're enjoying what you're writing, you don't notice that you're working, if I'm enjoying a conversation with a customer, and I work in a you know a call center based, and if I speak to a, a customer that I like, I don't notice that I'm working. I almost forget that I'm getting paid. I forget what I'm doing. I'm, I'm having fun. And if I connect well with my manager, which thankfully I do, um, I, I'll do a lot more for him because I want that atmosphere more and more and more. And I just want it to keep happening all the time and always feel like I can speak to my manager and my colleagues and my coworkers. And footballers are no different to that. They're still human beings at the end of the day. And I think when you can come into a club like Sunland and you've got someone with the demeanor of David Moyes, and I hate David Moyes, I'll say that till kingdom come, um, I can never imagine enjoying the football club when he was in there. It was just so dour and he was his demeanour was just so bad. And then Chris Coleman coming in, and we're only talking five weeks, but he's talked a lot of sense. He's talked a lot of realism. He's been very, very straightforward, but he seems to understand that what is missing is an enjoyment. And he said, said the other week, he said in a press conference, I know what this football club's missing. 
and I think I can bring it back. You never alluded to what it was, but I think a lot of it is almost like the heart and the soul and the enjoyment of that has been missing from Sunderland for a while. And it's only took three clean sheets and two wins in five for him to start bringing that back. And that's because the players seem to be enjoying the atmosphere of the manager because things are a little bit more positive. The fan base is a little bit more positive. It's a really great place to play at Sunderland. People say it's a difficult job. It's an impossible task. It's not if you get it right. And it's such an easy place to get it right. And I think a lot of that is enjoyment, as you were saying before. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's just a couple of things there that you that you, you touched on that I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with. I mean, one of the one of the similarities, I think, between... Well, I mean, you can, you can make a couple, but between Sheffield United and Sunderland, other than the fact that both of them have, have been through some pretty tough times of late, yep. they're, they're both excellently supportive football clubs. They're both football clubs as well, who I think have got a very, very loyal support. I mean, I can certainly speak for down here through some really difficult times and through six seasons in League One. You know, that, that crowd stuck in terms of numbers through the gate. That crowd stayed pretty solid. And now, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's obviously gone up slightly, as you would expect. But they've always been, a, certainly, in, you know, during my time in South Yorkshire, they've always been a really, really well-supported football club. So if, like Sheffield United and if, like Sunderland, you've got a fan base like that, you've got a crowd like that, it absolutely beggars belief, you're right, as to why some managers would not see that as something that they've got to ignite. Yeah. And, you know, it's the old phrase, isn't it? The 12th man. I, I hate it when you've got a red in. I, this, this is my pet hate. It's not David Moyes. But when you've got <laughs> a red in and you see the team sheet there, and if, if when you go to the Majewski Stadium, I know they still do it now, and you'll see it on the bottom, 12th, number 12, red in fans. And I always cringe when I, when I see that. But, you know, it's actually... It, it can be a 12th man. I don't want to see it on a team sheet, but I'm quite happy to talk about it. And it, it you, I just do not understand for the life of me why some managers, and it seems as if Chris Coleman gets this and Chris Wilder certainly gets this, wouldn't want to use that as something positive. Another thing that you said there uh, about why would players like Kona, you know, how do you get them to buy into a football club? I think you get them to buy into it by enjoying being there. Because, yep. you know, for example, Chris Basham, who we spoke about earlier, he's from the northeast. You know, he's played for Bolton, he's played for Blackpool before he came to Bramall Lane. He's not from Sheffield, as far as I'm aware, unless he's keeping something very quiet. He's got <laughs> from, from Sheffield. Uh, you know, John Fleck from Scotland, Paul Coots from Scotland, Cameron Carter-Vickers from Essex. Uh, Billy Sharp obviously is from Sheffield, but Leon Clark, a player who's doing ridiculous things this season, uh, you know, he's from Wolverhampton. But all of these players have really bought into the football club. I mean, it's great when you speak to Chris, uh, Chris Basham, that is, you know, who's moved to the area. And the one thing that really comes across loud and clear, and I'm not his agent, I'm not sort of, he's just signed a new contract, so I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not on ten percent of anything he gets, but. <laughs> It's it's great to hear him talk about about Sheffield United and Bramall Lane because you can see he's not only made a professional investment in the football club, he's made a real emotional investment in the football club as well. And I think that's just because he enjoys being there. And that, and, and I think that's how you get footballers to actually buy in to a football club. The other thing that that enjoyment and having a manager who I think understands players have got to enjoy themselves. It also makes it an awful lot easier for the manager to actually, you know, wield a big stick at times. And players will take that. Uh, 
I mean, twice now in the last couple of weeks, once at Millwall, once at Preston. You know, Chris Wilder's come out. He's, he is a manager who pretty much tells it as it is. There's not, a, there's not a lot of PR. There's not a lot of spin from him. I say not a lot. There's absolutely none at all. And, you know, he's, he's been very, very critical of his players. But behind the scenes, and when, when you do this job, there are players that you, you get to know. It's the same as any walk of life. You get on with some better than others. But, you know, there are some who, obviously, I'm not saying anything that will surprise anybody here because it's it's what we do for a living but who take you into their confidence and, and and will speak to you privately and and off the record and the one thing that comes across loud and clear is every time Chris does that which granted he hasn't had to do it very often but the players actually take it and they accept it because there's that bond there between the between the manager and his and his playing staff and I think that bond as I said just comes from that enjoyment comes from you know having somebody who you know has got your back who you know who you know will allow you to to have a good time and go out there and express yourself but also demands an awful lot for you and wants an awful lot from the football club so yeah I I just I, I really do scratch my head at times I think when you see or hear managers who just incessantly talk about tactics and formations and shape and this that and the other yes it's all important we all know that but you know you never hear them talk about enjoyment I know it's a word I've used an awful lot on this podcast already but it's it is it's just so so important true as well it's what we're all in it for fans writers managers players yeah. i think that that's why we're there and if it's not enjoyable which you know it hasn't been you can say what you want about fans and you can have the most loyalist fan on the planet i mean i live up in scotland um and there was times last season where i just i didn't want to go um it felt like my yeah. duty but you know if someone if someone like myself can feel like that because i'm not enjoying it then you know i'll go back to what you said before what's the point um, and thankfully, it's, it's yeah. coming back with Coleman. And it's funny. I, I wanted to ask you about. Um, I wanted to ask you. It's because I was going to ask you about your downturn in form. But I'll be honest with you. It's been quite nice to hear that it doesn't seem we've knocked Sheffield United's confidence at all. Because it's four. Yeah, it's four and five. Fair enough. It's a lot. You're still six off top. And I know there's a lot to be positive about with that. But um, in in a selfish way, I was kind of hoping you were going to tell me that you know you, you're all depressed. You, you feel like you might actually plummet down the table. We're going to hammer you, but you know I, I haven't got that. I'll be honest, um, I haven't picked that up from you. I'll, I'll tell you what. I think it suddenly though has become uh, possibly a much tougher game for Sheffield United than ordinarily you might have thought four or five weeks ago. Uh, I think there's absolutely no doubt about that. Yes, but no, there there isn't, and it's. I think another reason for that is because I mean Chris had a had a head start. Chris Wilder, this is not Chris Basham. Uh, Chris Chris Wilder had, did have a head start when he came into the football club because I've actually known or or first come across Chris, I should say, probably about ten years ago. And 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 one of the reasons was was because he he did even though he was working away, he did used to come back to the area. And when I say he was a fan of the football club, you would actually see him, you know, pop up at, at games fairly regularly when his schedule allowed so you know he is a proper fan he's he's not somebody who just sort of you know used it to make a nice line when he turned up for his appointment and his uh you know his coronation as as manager you know he is a he is a genuine supporter most of his friends are uh, you know or an awful lot of his friends are sheffield united supporters i'm led to believe there's a few sheffield wednesday ones in there as well but he doesn't talk about them very often but <laughs> <laughs> You know, so he knew what was going on at the football club. He was walking into the situation. It was a very difficult situation, but very, very much with his eyes open. And the that sort of attacking football, that really positive football that I was talking about, you know, a, a, a while back. I think that's one of the things that's also helped keep the fans on board. I mean, yeah, 
he he will get a lot more grace because he's you know he's a very popular figure and because they know he's he's one of their own as it were but the other thing as well is that you know really helps him build that is the fact as i said they're prepared to have a go and it's entertaining i mean I, you you go back certainly to the first couple or maybe to be entirely accurate after the first season in league 1 when they you know they they made a real good good fist of it they looked like they were going up it couldn't have panned out worse. There was a lot going on off the pitch, as I'm sure you'll be aware of, and probably yes. won't go into that now, else we'll be here all night. But there was a lot going on, and they ended up being picked by Sheffield Wednesday to automatic promotion and then losing the playoff semi-final, or playoff final, sorry, on penalties. It seemed like about 119, 120. It was down at the goalkeepers. You know, so that was a pretty terrible season, but as the way it panned out. But from that point on, you know, I, I always got the impression that the, the fans weren't really with the team and there, there, there wasn't that much to sing about. And, they, you know, they were, as you said, they were just sort of going through the, the motions, really. I mean, they had some great cup runs under under Nigel Clough, but there wasn't really an awful lot to sort of be involved with. And, and, and the style of football didn't really ignite either. And so, consequently, when things didn't go well, the supporters, and as I say, you know, and I'm a football fan myself, and you got every right, I think, to, to make your feelings known. I, I, I don't buy into this sort of idea that, you know, you can pay now at some grounds over £40 to, to get a ticket, and then you've got to sit there like, you know, mute and be some like some sort of performing seal, just clapping your yeah. hand you know, when, when people tell you to. No, it, it doesn't work like that. But if you'd have said to me during those seasons that I would see a Sheffield United crowd applaud their team off the pitch after a defeat, you know, I, I would have laughed. But that's happened, I think, two, three times during this run, and it's because... They've just seen a team. Uh, do you know what? If I can put it like this, rather than they've seen a team that's had a go, that's run itself into the ground, that's stuck together, I think what they see out there at the moment, the fans, is that, you know, all of us, even, even those of us your age, my age now, you know, dare I say it, there's times when we sort of sit there in the stands and think, oh, God, I wish I was out there. I wouldn't it be like if I was doing this. And what better thing, you know, to dream about than playing for the club that yeah. you grew up supporting? And the one thing I think Sheffield United fans see in this team is they look at the players and think, Do you know what, that's what I'd be like if I was out there. And that is the one thing that's really kept them on yeah. side because they're looking at 11, obviously, plus players who are wearing that, that shirt and, you know, are proud to wear it, but you can see are proud to wear it and are, and are doing all the things that we would do as fans if we got the chance to play for our, for our respective clubs. And and you know it's it's funny that's all all we've wanted and I mean again I feel like I'm jumping the gun a bit and because it's only been five games but it shows how quickly these things can turn because fans react to things and we can see Coleman's got a bunch of players there that he knows are going to work work their bollocks off like yeah. they're going to I mean why would you not want to play for Sunderland I mean it, it, it the same with Sheffield United Sheffield United are a huge football club like Sunderland are huge Sheffield United are huge like the areas that we're talking about are like working class areas where football is everything and and, and you know you're absolutely right I mean the two areas again I think the two clubs are quite similar in, in many ways in terms of sort of characteristics and personality and the, and the two areas are as well you know I mean yeah talk about the mining heritage can't we and you know obviously yep. 
had the steel down here in, in in Sheffield. So yeah, and I think the people are actually they might not sort of agree with this, but I think the people <laughs> are quite similar as well in terms of you know they're not people you can't pull the wool over their eyes. Uh, there's no point in trying to kid them. There's no point in trying to feed them a load of sort of David Brent management spiel because it's it's not going to wash. But no. as you said there, and I think you know you said about it's only five weeks. The one thing I will say is that I think you get a sense as a football fan or you get a sense as a writer if you cover a club regularly or, you know, sort of every week. You do get a sense when things are going well or are going to go well because, you know, a lot of people look down their noses at football fans and I know a lot of, a lot of those will look down their noses at journalists as well. And I, don't get me wrong, I, I, I sort of get why at times. But I think the one thing a lot of people, possibly within football, who aren't journalists, who, who aren't football supporters, as it were, themselves. I think the one thing they forget is we see an awful lot of football ourselves, you know, and we possibly see as much football as most footballers, most managers, most coaches. And yeah. I think because of that, most of us, you know, most of us know when something's going well. Most of us know when something isn't going well. Most of us know you know, can have a pretty good idea of what is wrong with a, with a football club. You see it so often with, with supporters, you know, where they'll say, the football club's missing this. The football club's missing that. This is what is wrong with my football club. And often I get the impression people sort of sneer at that a little bit. You know, you know, it's, well, you've, you've never played the game before. You've never been a pro. What do you know? Well, probably actually just as much as you, because we've seen as much football as you have, you know, and I, 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 I don't think you can underestimate that, that sense of when you know something is going well, when you know something is right. And as you've said, all of the things that you're describing to me about how Sunderland is now are all of the things it was missing when at the start of the season, you know, I went up to uh, went up to the Stadium of Light because it, it was, it was, you know, it, it was quite a depressing place to be, wasn't it? There's absolutely yeah, it was no, no doubt about it. And I can remember seeing some of the some of the players, you know, some of the Sunderland players walk out of the mix zone afterwards when we were, you know, doing the post-match interviews. And you could just see that it, it was a team that was used to being beaten. And, yeah. you know, almost just being beaten into the ground by being beaten. So, you know, I I, I think it's it's great that, that it sounds as if Chris Coleman's reinvigorated that. But I bet you most of the things that Chris Coleman has done other than some of the, the, you know, the technical tweaks he's probably made on the training ground and some of the work he's done with it sort of improving, you know, aspects of individual players' games. I absolutely bet you, because I know this is the case at Sheffield United, I absolutely bet you most of the things he's done are the things that you as supporters were sat there in the stand saying, this needs to change at my football club. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I feel, I, and it's funny you say about feeling. I always, I keep apologising, saying I know it's only been five <laughs> weeks, but like you do feel it. Like when Grayson came in, I was trying to fight that feeling, but I knew it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right because the football was boring. There was no, he, he sounded like, and I, I said this in an article during the week, he sounded like he was reading from a cue card. Um, and I am starting to understand what a club like Sunderland needs over my years. And people may laugh at this because I'm just a fan and everyone, every fan thinks they know best and just kind of re- relating to what you said before. Throughout my years, I can pick three managers that have really understood Sunderland and they've all got very similar characteristics. And that's Peter Reid, that's Roy Keane, and that is Sam Allardyce. And they're all managers who are almost fan-like in the way that they act. Maybe Roy Keane's slightly different because Roy Keane's a winner. But in the way that they value football and they value what it means to the area, they all kind of get it. And I get this with Coleman. And it's and maybe I'm jumping on something way too quick, but Chris Coleman just, he seems almost like, it's surprising for me because he's a coup. He was a total coup to get yeah. Chris Coleman. 
And I think we have to admit that we maybe not see that, but we bottom of the league um, one win all season when he came in. And then you, but you watch him and he, he's excited, not because he's like Grayson, a guy who's at a club that's probably too big for him. He's excited because he understands what he can bring. He understands, I think he knows his personality fits his club. And I, I would love to think that when he was offered that job, it wasn't just a case of he wanted a big job, like he said that. I think he knew and he knows that he can reinvigorate it. And I think he knows that his personality fits this club. And I think he knows that if he gets this right, there's not that many better places to be. Well, I, I, I think you, you're right. And as you said, you know, Sunderland is a, is a great football club. It's one that any manager, uh, you know, should be proud. Any player should be should be proud to have on their, their CV. Uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, just touching there on something that you said about Simon Grayson. And I think you, you've hit the nail on the head because looking in from the outside, and obviously Simon's a manager that that is well known on you know in in this patch, uh, mm-hmm. and has and has worked very well in it before. I, when he was appointed, I have to admit I actually thought you know what decent appointment there uh, because I did think that if he gets the time, uh, and this is before I've just listened to you talking there because something's just dawned on me. I did think yeah. if he gets the time, which obviously is a big if because very few managers get that time you know, in football in this day and age. And I think it's made even worse now with with transfer windows because obviously they can't come in like a bull in a china shop. Sometimes, you know, it's just, and I think this is this has certainly been true at Sheffield United. And I dare I say it going forward, it, it may be true at Sunderland as well. Sometimes it's a damn sight easier to sign players than it is actually get rid of players that you don't want, especially when you come down as a as a big fish into a into a lower division. Sheffield United had that when they went into League One. I think Sunderland have possibly had some of that when they when they came out of the Premier League and into the Championship. And it's very, very difficult to get rid of players. And it's very expensive. It's possibly almost more expensive to get rid of players at times as it is to as it is to sign them. Because with the wages that they'll be on, you know, obviously it goes without saying, some of them won't be going in a hurry. They won't you know, they they won't particularly looking to be leave to leave. And because of they've been involved in the relegation, very few of them, of course. We'll, we'll we'll get to a club where we're going to pay them what they what you know what they were on the season before. Yeah. Uh, but I think what they've what they I think with Simon, I thought if he if he gets the time, if he gets maybe three four transfer windows, he can work that out. I'd almost forgotten what I was going to going to say there. I don't, <laughs> hopefully you didn't pick that up. I'll admit it anyway. But I think it was perhaps just his demeanour. When when you mentioned there about personality, I think Simon, I'm, you know, I know away from football, you know, he's got a good sense of humour. Uh, you know, he's quite sort of bright and he can be quite sort of bubbly. But obviously that doesn't come across in his, you know, his his public demeanour isn't like no, that. I and you, yeah, and I think this is one of the things that Chris brought to Sheffield United. Obviously, he was immensely proud to take charge of the club that he'd supported since since childhood. But he came into the football club and it was almost like, you know, listen, we're not going to be arrogant about this, but we're Sheffield United. We, you know, and you can say that in League One. We, we're Sheffield United Football Club. And, you know, we are a big fish in this division. And, you know, we are going to respect the opposition. We are going to do our due diligence on them. But we're also going to go out there and play how the hell we want, thank you very much. And, you know, yeah. let them worry about us. And it gave the fans who had been sort of pretty browbeaten over the years a real lift. And I think that's possibly why Simon, it, it perhaps didn't work with the players and it didn't work with the with the fans on Weir's side. Because, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm being unfair when I say this. He, he, he does come across as quite sort of dour at times, doesn't he, with his, his dealings with the, with the media. Yeah, uh, it's not exciting. 
No, that's it. And I think, you know, let's be frank. It's, you know, it was a pretty terrible season last season, wasn't it, at the Stadium of Light? It's very rarely a great season when you get relegated. Yeah, especially with the way we did with Moyes. And and Moyes was dour as it was. Like, he was as dour as they came. And and, and as a fan, you would, and, you know, dare I say it, as a player as well, you you want somebody who's going to come in here and just lift the place and, you know, give it a good shake, but give it a good shake in the right way and make everybody yeah. feel good about themselves again and bring that little bit of sort of swagger back. And that's that, that that's possibly why, I mean, listen, what do I know? I'm, I'm, I wasn't there, but that's possibly why Simon, you know, wasn't as good a fit as Chris Coleman is. And it's funny you say about, about uh, what Chris Wilder said when he came in. Chris Coleman said almost the exact words he said in his press conference. He says uh, something along the lines of, you know, never forget where Sunderland. And he also said, he got asked about Fulham. They said, oh, what are you looking at for Fulham at your ex-club? Like, and stuff like that. And he said, I'm not worried about Fulham. I'm worried about us. I'm worried about what we can do. Like, that's what I'm concerned about. What can we do? What can Sunderland do? And it's very much almost like because we as fans used to being a bit of a brunt of the joke hadn't won in a home game for so long and this and that and the other and I think Chris Coleman's kind of come in and sort of gone hang on a minute like do you realize what football club you're at Mm. Um, because we've never been a joke of a club we've always been in apart from one season in the whole history of our of our football club we've only ever been in the top two divisions and then we went in the third division or now league one as it's called once and came straight out of it we have a lot of history with the 73 cup final we have a lot of a lot of players a lot of games a lot of moments we're, we're maybe not manchester united but we're, we're certainly not going to be it if you've got anything about yourself and i think for too long there's been a lot of players who have decided Sunderland's just a, a decent stepping stone it's a place for a wage and i think coleman coming in has very much had the similar attitude to what you said wilder's had we're Sunderland. like let's start showing people who we are and and let's start realizing where you're at I'll, I'll give you a good, another good little example. You, you're absolutely right the way Chris was and is. And you know, obviously, Sheffield is a is a two club city. Uh, I know obviously it's slightly different in the northeast, but obviously you you know yourselves in Newcastle are on. If I can mention that word on on this podcast, <laughs> but you're very very near neighbours. Uh, we are. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> but Sheffield United's run through or sort of time in League One. He coincided with with Sheffield Wednesday doing doing pretty well uh, in uh, in the championship. Now the roles have been reversed, obviously, of late. But you know, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, the Sheffield United fans as well, when they're going into work, you know, they they were the butt of the jokes. And other than those two great cut runs, as as great as they were under under Nigel Clough, you know, there wasn't an awful lot that they could that they could throw back that they could that they could give back to the uh, to the Sheffield Wednesday fans who they work with, live with, married to, whatever. And I think that that does it. It grinds you down at times. Chris, in in a lot of his interviews, and he actually he mentioned this most pointedly after the derby at Hills uh, earlier this season, when when Sheffield United, you know, went to Sheffield Wednesday and won four two, won very very. It was a very very convincing four. Yeah, they watched that. It was very convincing actually. Yeah, and I'm not so sure if he said this in the in the television interviews, but certainly. To me, because he, you know, obviously knows he's playing to a sort of a local to a regional audience. There were two words that he kept using all the way through his press conference, and that was pub and league. And you know, he would say, "Not bad for a team out of the pub league, is it? We've done all right for a team from the pub league." 
And yeah. it was just that little bit of a dig because that was the one label that the Sheffield Wednesday fans, whenever Sheffield United had a little flurry in League One, where they're only in the pub league, you're only in the pub league. And, you know, he just used things like that because he knows the yeah. area and he knows the personality of the football club just to bring a little swagger back and to bring a smile back to people's faces and, and just to let, you know, as, as he would put it, that, you know, that lot on the other side of the city know that, you know, we're, we're back. And, and yeah. you know, we're just not here to make the numbers up. We actually plan on doing something. Whether whether we do, whether we don't, that remains to be seen. But we, we are back in this division and we plan on doing something. And you do, you, you, you want to feel good about your club, don't you? you? You want to be proud of it. And I don't think, again, with respect, and I do genuinely mean, you know, mean it with respect, if, if, if you, at a, you, you follow a club like Crew, or if you follow a club like Barnet or, you know, Hartlepool, you, you, you're probably used and you can probably accept in, dare I say it, 60% of the games that you're involved in, your manager having to be very, very worried about the opposition. Yeah. If you're a club like Sunderland, if you're a club like Sheffield United, if you're a club like some of, you know, a few of the other teams in the championship, you don't want to hear your manager going into games, kowtowing to the, to the opposition and saying, you know, God, we've got to negate this, we've got to negate that. These are proud football clubs. And so it, it, I think it's great. And this is why I'm really looking forward to this game actually on Boxing Day. Because it's two proud football clubs, it's two proud sets of fans, and now I think you know with, with Chris Coleman coming in, it's it's two very proud managers as well. Yeah. Two managers who you know think a lot for for different reasons, I think, but think a lot of the of the football clubs that employ them. And I think the other reason why it's going to be a great game is because I think it's two teams as well as I said that will have a go. So that's yeah. that's nil nil, isn't it? That's yeah. <laughs> Well, that's written all over. We'll both get beat on Saturday and then we'll get nil-nil and the whole podcast goes to shite. Um, but no, I mean, I was going to ask you a prediction, but I think, you know, from what you said, I think it's a tough game to call because um, despite the fact that we're on a, a decent run of form, you're on a poor run of form, I think very much so. I think it will be a good game is my prediction. I know that sounds a bit of a cop-out, but um, based on, you know, I think Sheffield United will come out with this run. I think they'll look at a game against us as a, a winnable game. I think the, probably is the way they've gone about their season. Look at every game is winnable, and, and so you should. And I think Sunderland are starting to do that as well. So I think I, I, I fancy us. I fancy us 2-1. I don't know why. Just to kind of cover off. Go on. Actually, go on. Give me a prediction. What do you think? You know what? I'm, I'm exactly the same as you. I think, first off, I'm, my prediction would be it's a good game. And I certainly wouldn't have it on my coupon if I was, uh, if I was a betting man. Uh, I'll say God, that. No. I don't know who's listening to this. So it's uh, if she is, I'll be in trouble. I'm going to go 2-1 the other way. And that's because, okay. you know, I think even though, even though the improvements that, that, Sheffield, uh, that Sheffield United, that Sunderland have made under under Chris Coleman up there, I, I think that home advantage will... I mean, it's going to be a, a great crowd there. You know, slightly bigger than than, than usual because it's the uh, you know it's the Boxing Day fixture, and I think that will that that will drag Sheffield United through. So I'm going to go I'm going to go two one the other way. But I will tell you what, it's a game that I I'd actually I mean I'm obviously fortunate privileged enough you know not to have to uh, not to have to pay. But it it is a game that if I was a neutral you know or, or, or a neutral supporter or wasn't wasn't doing the job that I'm doing, I'd actually look at this and think you know what I actually wouldn't mind buying a ticket for that one. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Obviously, I'm, I'd have an interest in it one way or another, but I do feel like it's the game that's stuck out to me since a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think two teams, you're off form, but you've had a good season. We've had a bad season, but we're starting to hit form. It's it's an intriguing game. 
I think the only, as you said before, though, it will probably be nil-nil now. You'll probably get beat of Villa. We'll get beat at home off Birmingham and everything will be depressing at both sides. It'll be the worst <laughs> game of the season. Um, but really lovely having you on, mate. Uh, really genuinely enjoyed the chat. It's 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 good to have some positivity. We've had like a Birmingham fan on like the start of the week and fair, fair play to him, but God, I, I do worry for his, his health. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound good, but um, thanks for coming on. And if you ever need us for anything, you know where we're at. No, likewise. Really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Perfect. Have a good day at Christmas, mate. All right. You as well, pal. You as well. No, I really enjoyed but, it, mate, honestly. Yeah. But, but a horrible boxing day. <laughs> <laughs> so you bought a chap. Listen, if you're if if you're outside the uh, if you're out, I, I, I know sometimes I don't know if you're picking your tickets up or whatever, but if you're outside the the press entrance at all, or just yeah, like and I'm outside vaping away or whatever, uh, <laughs> just just come up, say hello, or or get a message up, and or you got me me number, drop down, I come down, and say hello, yeah, because really enjoyed it, mate. Yeah, why not, mate? Spot on, fully enjoyed it as well. All right, hope to see you do well. Apart from obviously the game on air, uh, the twenty sixth. But thanks for coming on as always, chap. Thank you. Likewise, anytime. If you need me again, you've got you got the details, haven't you? So yeah, you do certainly Soft do, bud. <laughs> Have a good Christmas, all right. So that's the end of episode four, I think. I've lost count, but um, that was a really good chat, really good positive chat. Something I really enjoyed. I think that when it comes to Sheffield United, on a flip side. Um, not you know I care about Sunderland. I care about Sunderland mainly. It'll always be about Sunderland. Um, but it's nice to see that a club like Sheffield United that I know have been through the ringer quite a bit um, from an outside perspective can recover and recover in the way they they have because it means that we can do the same as well. And I, I feel the green shoots of recovery slightly. I hope we're discussing a win against Birmingham and two home wins on the trot. Believe it or not, that would be absolutely nuts. Um, but I hope we are discussing that, and I, I'm confident in each game we're going into and it just shows you how quick things can turn around and it was great to have a chat with James obviously regarding Sheffield United to show that the feelings I'm feeling regarding Sunderland and how we're doing are not just things that are there for the sake of being there I actually feel because you have you have those feelings in a football club and you know when things are going to work and from what he told me about Chris Wilder I see a lot on that in Chris Coleman and I think moving forward we're definitely in good hands and if we're anything like Sheffield United a club the size of us as well we're going to come back I think we're going to come back roaring but trust me after I've said that we're going to get beat up Birmingham aren't we hopefully not thanks for tuning in again and I hope you've had a really good Christmas and a good new year Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.